All opinions expressed by Andrew Whalen, employees at Whalen Financial, or any other podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wayland Financial. Wayland Financial is a registered investment advisor. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Wayland Financial may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Uh, obviously, Russia's only continued to invade Ukraine despite sanctions. Doesn't seem like they're stopping. We did just have the State of the Union. Uh, we could get into that, but we don't want to bore people too much. Uh, you know, we want to keep this short and concise. So let's just jump right into the conflict that's going on in Russia. You know, there's a tremendous amount of commodities that are exported from Russia every single year. And I was looking up a article that was written in Reuters. And I just kind of want to run run these numbers by you because uh, it's kind of shocking on a large number of you know everyone just kind of thinks of oh it's just oil and you know that's one component of global GDP but aluminum they export about six percent of total world world production cobalt that's used for batteries they export more than four percent of the total world production copper about uh, another four and a half percent of the world production nickel about 7%. Here's a big one, palladium and platinum. Uh, they export almost 40% of global mine production. And um, of gold, they export about 10% of global mine production. Steel, another 4% of global production. Diamonds, here's a big one, unless you're, you know, just in case you're getting married this year, 30% of global total production of diamonds comes from Russia. Fertilizer, this is probably why uh, Mosaic's been on a run recently. Uh, they export 13% of the global total fertilizers. And wheat, it's not just Ukraine, it's also Russia. They export somewhere close to 17% of global total production. So those are commodities, not including oil, that Russia is responsible for exporting. Talk, let's, let's talk through the implications of of just a slowdown in Russia, right? Not even talking about sanctions, but if this drags on for two or three or four or a year, like Bill Miller thought it was going to, uh, the implications on you know anywhere between five to seventeen to thirty or forty percent of some commodities are going to be drastically impacted. Right. It's clear that if there is a protracted conflict here, that it's going to be more disruptive to the global economy than you know, most of the, the wars and, you know, conflicts that you have around the world, if they're somewhere where uh, there isn't a lot of production of a lot of different things or, uh, you know, or, or consumption either. Well, I mean, it seems like a diversified pie of commodities that's coming out of just Russia alone, not even counting Ukraine. Um, and then the surrounding areas, if they have to be more defensive or if other countries have to maybe get involved, what that looks like on the global production scale. Right. So, you know, as you know, GDP estimates and, you know, global GDP estimates are, will have to get revised in uh, coming months to account for all of that. Mm -hmm. And it'll, it also will uh, fuel inflation here. And, and we're kind of seeing that already with the, um, you know, oil price spike that's happening. It's really uh, it started when when all of this 
you know, when this, uh, this conflict went live a week ago and it's, it's continued over the last week. So that's everything that's happened in the last week has made us kind of reevaluate our views and, 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 and think about things along the lines of inflation, you know, probably isn't going to settle down as quickly as we thought it would. And then, um, you know, even though the, you know, the expected path of Fed rate hikes is, is, is slowing down, there's, there still is a lot of inflation and probably going to be more. It's all leading us to think that we should probably get a little more defensive sooner uh, rather than later. But we're still, we're still reevaluating all of that right now. We don't want to make, uh, you know, any, any decisions too quickly. And we'd like to look for some good bounces too. Right. Yeah. And the, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine isn't just limited to those commodities that we talked about. A lot of those commodities are direct inputs into uh, a lot of individual products that go within the global supply chain. You know, so when we heard from Apple and Tesla earlier this year on their earnings calls, they didn't really quite figure in uh, the component pieces that may be required uh, to complete certain things when they gave us estimations that the supply chain should be fixed by 2023. They didn't really account for that. And case in point, so the Wall Street Journal came out with an article this morning. Uh, it was titled, Ukraine War Plunges Automakers into a New Supply Chain Crisis, basically talking about, and I'll just read it verbatim, uh, after a pandemic and a global chip crunch, Russia's war in Ukraine has unleashed automakers' third supply chain crisis in many years. And that kind of gets back to the point of some of those precious metals and some of those components are used to create semiconductor chips that then feed into cars or just parts themselves, if we're talking about steel. Um, so this, this conflict could cause a lot more problems than, than obviously ease the pain of inflation, uh, definitely in the near term. Um, so we wanted to address that. That was really interesting um, uh, as far as the supply chain and, and kind of what's going on is the, the components of commodities that come out of Russia. One other thing was, so we, we've, we talked about this earlier today of, you know, okay, let's say we wake up tomorrow and Vladimir Putin is deciding that, hey, I made a mistake. Just kidding. We're done. That doesn't mean that this is all just going to go away right away, right? I mean, they're not, uh, the, the foreign countries are going to be like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, we're going to remove all these sanctions, uh, you know, better luck next time. And that could be something that is also impacting the prolonged nature of the recovery, uh, specifically in supply chain, commodity prices, um, everything else, right? Right. I mean, when you get significant military actions by countries and dictators, is if they start to... Uh, you know, doing damage to other countries, like that's not something that they can get away from really easily. Usually people just continue fighting. Right. There isn't really an easy way to back down because, you know, now like the, um, you know, the victors are going to impose law on you. And, you know, there's probably, no, there's probably no way he can return to, you know, just, just going back to, you know, the leader of Russia and, you know, not having um, any repercussions. Like he, there's probably no way for him to go back to the world like a few weeks ago. Sure. And that puts uh, it in if, a very, even if, they, even if they, even if he said that, well, you know, we're, we're going to stop. We're sorry. Right. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. 
Yeah. And, you know, obviously a lot of people are, are being affected by this um, and even companies here domestically are taking action. And I did notice, and we talked about it earlier today, even Josh Brown at Ritzhold is starting to pen letters to some of these ETF providers of saying, hey, you should liquidate. It's not morally right. And obviously there's a free market system, but we'll see how that all pans out. And we didn't, when we're not mentioning, I don't want to go into a tremendous amount of detail into is what role does China play in all of this? And could that escalate things even further if they decide to import the oil that people are refusing to import? Right. I mean, that's something that people are thinking about too. Uh, it's probably a low probability event that China decides to, you know, help Russia and, and buy right. what they can't sell to the Western world, but it's, it's not a, it's not a zero it's not a zero percent yeah. chance thing. Um, it would be unwise of them and they probably won't do it, but right. it's something that that could happen. But all of this that's happened in the last week or two, really the, the last week with all the sanctions on Russia, it just and the pain from it, it highlights how uh, how globalized and interconnected the world is now. Sure. Things were a lot more isolated in the past, but now um you know, if a country wants wants war, like there are a lot of consequences. Well, yeah, forty percent of the wheat produced in Russia. Like, what do you think your Kellogg cereal is going to cost in the next month? Well, or a couple months. Right now, like all the stuff in the United States is, is coming from here because, like, we're a we're a wheat exporter too. But it it just raises the price on a global level. So, right. yeah. So when you go to you know, pick up your, your Wheaties, you know, General Mills is going to be raising the price on that. Sure. So uh, another thing that we've seen a huge drastic price change just in the last week or so is the price of oil. So what I wanted to talk about was how does that really affect, in, in your opinion, what are the consequences of US GDP? Let's walk through what that really means. Um, and, you know, if it stays at a relatively sustained level for a prolonged period of time, can you explain that? Right. Well, historically, oil price spikes have have led to recessions, and they've kind of, they've typically been just a consequence of the economy growing, and there isn't much additional supply, or you're right up against the supply limit, and so oil goes up, and typically that happens late or at the very end of a business cycle. Right. So we've had a lot of late business cycle signs, but we haven't had any of the the Fed rate hike activity, but yet we're having this oil price spike because of a, uh, a military conflict. Sure. So, so let's share but, that. Let's share that chart as, as you keep talking about that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, so what's this chart talking about, Carl? So this, this chart right here is the historical oil price and how it's changed on a, on a percentage basis, uh, versus, uh, it's long-term trend over the last 50 years. Yeah, I think and Bianca you, you, Research put this out. Yeah, you can see that it's uh, it's tended to go up at the end of business cycles, and a lot of people say it's one of the ingredients that helps cause recessions because oil is kind of a special commodity because it affects the price of everything just just to move things around, and also natural gas is used to make fertilizer. So, you know, fertilizer often goes up at the same time and. When that goes up, then agricultural commodities go up too. Like everything goes up at the same time. 
but the biggest spike on here is actually the, um, you know, the Gulf War in 1990, as you can see there, right in the middle. And that was, um, you know, that was, you know, in the at the beginning of a recession as well. Sure. So, yeah, essentially, what this chart shows, just to break it down really simple, is you know, anytime we've seen a 50% price movement or more in the price of oil, that typically preceded a recession. And that doesn't mean that it's absolutely true and going to happen and history is going to repeat itself, but it is just another indicator of something that we watch of a shortened business cycle um, when we're looking at, you know, investing portfolios. So this is, this is something really interesting. Obviously, the higher the price of oil, like Carl said, the higher, it, uh, the higher amount it costs to transport goods and the more money that you're spending on a monthly basis of your budget, which energy is, you know, an abnormally large amount next to shelter of someone's monthly budget, the more that's going there, the less that you're going to go out to eat or the, the less new clothes you're going to buy or the less experiences you're going to go on. And that all slowly contracts the economy, which brings me to my second to last point, which GDP revisions for the, uh, for the fourth quarter are now zero to negative, right? Right. And they're, the, and they're blaming um, yeah, the Atlanta and they're, Fed uh, does some good. And that's real this. GDP. It's not nominal. It is real GDP. So it back right. ends inflation. Um, but uh, what that essentially means is how much are we spending versus how much prices have gone up and what the net difference is. And what they're predicting is somewhere close to zero. So, you know, obviously the economy is slowing. It was hit by Omicron. Clearly, we're not going to see the seven and a half or seven percent GDP clips that we saw coming out of the pandemic. Uh, but it is another cause for concern on the Fed, which is our last point. You know, the Fed came out this week and basically announced that everything's on pace to raise rates 25 basis points in two weeks uh, at their next meeting in March. And I'm not sure if it's enough. Like I said last week, I'd be okay. They need to come out and, and, and give some kind of stability. But at the same time, like what you and I said, you've got all not only the conflict, but now you have oil prices coming up. You've got all these commodity pressures that are going to keep inflation higher. And that kind of puts them in a big pickle. Right. I mean, we expect inflation to be higher now and not, not lower. So it's interesting that the Fed wants to have a smaller rate hike as opposed to a larger one. Right. Kind of makes it seem like, you know, they're not really doing their job or maybe they don't. Well, maybe they're not. They don't, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't care. Maybe supporting financial markets is more important than preserving the integrity of the currency. We're following their dual mandate. So it'll be interesting. I think we covered a lot of stuff on this weekly sense. This, um, you know, the second to last one next Friday, we moved to the new office. So we'll do one for next week. It'll be the last one. I'm uh, looking forward to it, Carl. Anything like you'd like to close with? Well, we're just watching everything carefully and Trying to think about what the best what the best moves from from here are. Uh, it's a difficult environment, but um, you know we're we're confident that we'll we'll make good decisions pretty soon. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. You too. Have a great one. All opinions expressed by Andrew Whalen, employees at Whalen Financial, or any other podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Whalen Financial. 
Wayland Financial is a registered investment advisor. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Wayland Financial may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.